morning. Hey, happy to be here. I'm Parker Sims. I'm the high school minister here at Sherwood Oaks. I'm relatively new, but we love being here. I'm excited to be here today. Um, Tim got you guys good on that, like, hey, sit down for the song if you want. Actually, stand up. That was hilarious. <laughs> Tim's been saying all morning that, like, that I'm wearing this shirt to cover up my tattoos, and that next service I'm going to come out wearing a wife beater. And I, I don't know why. <laughs> why he's saying that? It's not true. Um, it's not NASCAR Sunday. Otherwise, I might. I don't know. <laughs> oh man, it's good to be here, though. Uh, this is week two of a series. Oh, before I go into that. Speaking of high schoolers, uh, there's an event tonight. So if you know a high schooler and you see one on the street, put them in your car and drop them off here. At six o'clock, there will be free food. We're gonna go onto campus and do like a photo scavenger hunt in teams. It's a lot of fun. Um, so it's just a little plug for that. And there is a class meeting right now downstairs every week at 11 for high schoolers. So if you know a high schooler, if you are a high schooler, come hang out with us. It's pretty fun. All right, back to the sermon. Um, This is week two of a series called Move, where we are exploring the different ways that people worship and connect with God and interact with God. Uh, A lot of this is coming from a book called Sacred Pathways by a guy named Gary Thomas. Uh, Did you know that reading your Bible and praying and going to church is not the only way to connect and interact with God? And so the goal of this series is to explore these different ways we have personality types and we have learning styles and we have things like the Enneagram, but we don't really talk about the different ways that we're wired to connect with God. And so uh, the goal for the series is for you to explore and find your way and lean into that and learn from each other and learn from these different ways that people worship. There is kind of this expectation in the Christian world that to be a good Christian, you have to be up at 5 a.m. every morning reading your Bible, meditating, praying, journaling for three hours until you go about your day. Uh, And for me, that's not really my thing. Um, I'm not a morning person at all. And so that's really difficult for me. Uh, I love the joke, it's true, that uh, the the term beautiful sunrise is an oxymoron. Uh, There's no such thing as a beautiful sunrise. There are beautiful sunsets, but sunrises are brutal. Yeah, we were in Guatemala in March with the students and everyone was talking about the sunrises. They're all like, oh, you gotta see the sunrise, it's so pretty. And I finally got up one morning at who knows what time, 6 a.m. and went, walked over by these chickens to go stand by this, on this hill to see a sunrise that apparently was gonna blow my mind. And it was cloudy that day, didn't see any sun. <laughs> I'm still mad about that. Uh, I could have slept for like 20 more minutes, it would have been awesome. Oh man, but for me, I connect with God through prayer and through going to church and worship and reading my Bible, but I also connect through like meaningful conversations with friends. Um, I have like my brother and his wife are here this weekend. I have friends coming in town this whole week and I know that when they leave, I'm gonna feel closer to God just because of like being with those people and having meaningful conversations with them. Um, another way is music. I love music. Uh, sometimes a specific song will just like hit me in the feels and I just feel God through that. It's great. Uh, I also connect with God through being outside. And so my wife and I are trying to go to as many national parks as we can in our lifetime. Uh, there's us at one right there. That's Yosemite. I like to say when we go to Yosemite that it's like doing your Apple pilgrimage, right? Because all the backgrounds on Apple products are all Yosemite. So you're going back there. That's Glacier Point. Um, 
But I remember, like, not there, but I mean, there too, but when we went to Sequoia, I remember getting out of the car and, like, standing under this tree that's 30 feet in diameter and just being in awe of God's glory and feeling so connected to God through that. And so today I want to encourage you that um, there, we're talking about the enthusiasts and the contemplative. And so I want to encourage you, and if that's not you, we are here to learn from our enthusiasts and contemplative brothers and sisters. Uh, how fantastic is it that God speaks to us in our own way, that God meets us where we are and speaks to us in a language that we can understand? Uh, and it's such a cool thing that we can share that. It's kind of like listening to a song, right? If I played a song in here and I asked 10 of you what the song was like, I might get some answers about the melody or the instruments used in the song or what style the song is or what the singer's voice sounded like or you might talk about the lyrics and how the lyrics like really hit you, they're good lyrics. But all of you are all talking about the song. No one's wrong, you're all talking about the song, it's just the part that you heard and what stood out to you. So who am I to say that you're wrong or the way that you see the song is not the right way or the way that I see the song is the only way to really experience the song. And so we can celebrate and learn from each other. You saying something that stood out to you, you saying that could unlock something for me that I've never even heard of before and just change the entire way I see something. And that's a really awesome thing that God encourages us and allows us to do that with each other. And so that's what we're going to do today. So first we're talking about what Gary Thomas calls the enthusiast. Are there any enthusiasts in here? Is anyone just excited to be here right now? And yeah, I always get woos from the enthusiasts. That's so appropriate, right? What else would we get? <laughs> Yeah, uh, first service there was one, that's good. It's good to know there's some here. <sighs> yeah, so enthusiasts, you guys, I'm not telling you, but enthusiasts in general connect with God through mystery and celebration. Um, Gary Thomas refers to them as like downhill skiers. Like if you've ever gone skiing with a group of people, there's some people that are really cautious and stay on the bunny hills the whole time. And then there's other people like the enthusiasts that just like bomb straight down the biggest hill there, right? Uh, and they just wanna experience it. They don't wanna just know things about God and know principles and ideas. They wanna experience those things and they want those things to be real for them. They know that there are some things that we can't know and that excites them and they're open to the spiritual world typically and more into like healing and dreams and God speaking through different ways and they live a life of gratitude. So when I think of the enthusiast, I think of uh, 2 Samuel chapter six, there's that story where David gets the ark back and he's so excited and he's celebrating and he's dancing and he starts taking off his clothes while he's dancing and someone has to come up to him and be like, hey, there's young girls around, don't do that. And he's like, shut, shut it. I'm fine, but um, yeah, I'm not encouraging you guys to go strip down Kirkwood. That wouldn't be a good look for anyone. Please don't do that. Um, but they see God through this lens of gladness and that everything in this world is a gift from God and so it's worth celebrating and being excited about. And they embrace the mystery of faith, which I know drives some of you crazy. Um, for me, if I'm honest, I was a little suspicious when I got this topic to preach on because I tend to think in a more skeptical, um, logical sort of way rather than experience and all that. Uh, and I typically see people that are more into the mystery of faith as being superstitious. And so in the words of Michael Scott, I'm not superstitious, I'm a little stitious. Um, <laughs> is anyone with me on this though? Is anyone with me on this though? You, uh, if you've grown up in the restoration movement like I have, a Christian church, then the Holy Spirit and things that are mystical 
are kind of like that weird uncle that you're related to, and he's at the family gatherings, but you don't really know how to interact with him because uh, he's strange, and your parents talk under their breath about him and how weird he is and stuff, right? You're like afraid. I, I know this is here, and it's part of my life, but I don't really know what to do with it and how it works, and it's kind of kind of strange for me. But having said that, I don't think that the way that I view that and my mindset is always healthy and that it's always the way that Jesus would want me to see those things. And I think a lot of how we see the world and how we see God comes down to this whole Eastern versus Western mindset. We have a mindset, most of us, all of us are influenced by this Western Greek mindset that we want things to be black and white and right and wrong and true and false. And we wanna be able to have like clean, tidy answers and our theology to be all ironed out and wrinkle free and be able to fit in a box. And we wanna be able to go and get a degree in something that makes us an expert on a topic and we can learn all the things you need to learn about this specific thing and know it and you can like hold it in your hand. Um, we wanna have things figured out, but mystery doesn't fit in a box and mystery is different and it doesn't follow those rules and I can't get a master's degree in mystery and know all there is to know about it, but God doesn't work in that Greek way. In truth doesn't work in that Greek way. How many of you have read a passage in scripture 10 times on the 11th time something new jumps out of you that you never even realized before? It's always unfolding, it's always something new. I think about as a kid going to visit my parents' friend, Judy, and she was the missions pastor at my church growing up. And we were going to visit her and she was in hospice. And I remember my parents explaining to me like what hospice is and that they've pretty much determined that she's gonna be dying soon. And so they make it as comfortable as possible for you to live out your last days there. And you just, yeah, you just live them out. And so I remember being there and talking with her and we're praying with her and I remember how that was like 20 years ago and Judy's been alive ever since or I think about um, going on a mission trip in college and needing $300, and I'm $300 short for this trip, and as a college kid, $300 is like $10,000, and so I'm like, I'm not gonna make it. I'm not gonna go on this trip. Pretty bummed about it. Uh, and then my friend Chris wanted to meet and have coffee, and he's telling me that he's been working more and making more money, and he just felt like God was telling him to get together with me and give me some money, and he gives me this envelope with $300 in it. Um, and I was able to go on that trip. Or the times, I'm from Cincinnati, go Reds. Um, times, I had to, you know, come on. Uh, <laughs> the times that I'm in like the city and there's someone, this, just a grungy person from the city, homeless person or something that's coming towards me and in my mind, I'm like, please God, I don't wanna have this interaction right now. I just wanna go to this restaurant or do whatever I'm gonna do and spend a lot of money that I, whatever. I don't wanna do this, but the, Cross, paths cross and I end up having this conversation and this person who's from a completely different walk of life speaks something like directly to me that I needed to hear as if it was God speaking himself. Or the endless times that God has spoken to me through a song or through nature, these things that don't fit in the box, they don't fit in this like clean, tidy world that we want. And then I look at scripture for help. I'm like, okay, this will help me figure things out. And it doesn't help at all because God speaks through burning bushes and earthquakes and lightning and thunder and fire and smoke and animals and angels. There's this guy, Melchizedek, that Abraham meets, right? And he apparently is a high priest of God but has nothing to do with the story of the Bible. So apparently you can know, you can be super close with God, know a ton about God, but have nothing to do with what God is doing through the Bible and through the story of Israel. Like what in the world? 
And so as much as we want things to be structured in black and white and we want a formula, if I go to this thing and say this prayer and believe this thing, then God will give me a good life. As much as we want that, it doesn't work that way. There's no denying that there is a mystery to God and there are things that happen that are outside of our categories. And so what if we stop trying to categorize things and put things in a box and just embraced some of the mystery? Sometimes we're looking for finite answers to infinite questions and we're never gonna get those answers. And I think it's a huge thing we can learn from the enthusiast brothers and sisters in our community. I would argue that a deeper faith begins by saying, I don't know. That it takes more faith to say, I don't have it all figured out, I don't understand this. And I think for many people that grow up in a religious tradition like our own, we're told that faith is about having this certain set of beliefs, and you come to those beliefs and you debate those things, then you write books about what's true and what isn't, how there's evidence for this and evidence for this, and so faith is just clinging to those facts. For many people, faith is just agreeing with and knowing statements about God. But when we do that, we're not allowing God to speak. Uh, we aren't thinking for ourselves. We aren't really building faith because we're just taking what someone else handed us. And that's not how the biblical writers thought. And that's not how ancient, ancient Hebrews thought. God in truth is infinite. You never arrive at it. You can't get a degree in it. You never can hold it. And there's no place that God isn't. And so there's no place that God can't speak to us. So the Hebrew mindset is to embrace the mystery and the enthusiasts embrace the mystery as well. And I think that we could use more mystery in our lives and in our faith. So instead of being afraid of the mystery or afraid of not having all the answers, what if we celebrated how big our God is and that God is in the mystery and that God is bigger than anything that we can come up with on our own and that we can expand our horizons and seek to find God even in the unexpected places that we wouldn't expect to find him. And so an enthusiast is someone who celebrates how huge God is and lives in the mystery of that. Then there's the contemplatives. Are there any of those in the room? We wouldn't know because you wouldn't say if you were. <laughs> Psalm 63 says, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. So these contemplatives, they connect with God through silence, through meditation, through getting rid of all the distractions in life that'll get in the way of their pursuit of being in the presence of God. They're also into the mystery of God. They're okay with mystery. They embrace that. And they, uh, they're deep thinkers. They take time for retreat and solitude, and they live for the love of God. There's nothing they want more than to just be alone in God's presence. They take very seriously this mentality that we are supposed to be the bride of Christ, and they see themselves in this covenantal relationship with God where everything is surrendered and everything in their life is open for God to use and speak through. They really want to see God's face, and so they're seeking, and they're knocking, and they're finding, and they do this by getting rid of the distractions that can choke out their desire for God. And it's not always sinful things. Sometimes getting rid of distractions can be like turning off your phone. Uh, it can be a busy schedule, or too many commitments on your calendar. It can be things that distract you from pursuing God. 
Another thing about these contemplatives is they don't compartmentalize their lives. Another hallmark of this Greek mindset that we have is do we like put our lives in boxes? We have our work life, our social life, our family life, our finances, our spiritual life, all these things, and we don't let them all overlap, and we let God into some of them, but we don't really want God to touch this part. I don't want God to mess with my finances or my future box. I'm going to keep it separated and clean, but these contemplatives don't do that. They see God as their life, and so every area of their life is open, and they live life with hands open, waiting to receive from God, rather than holding on to the things in their lives. This contemplative way of life is really difficult for us. Um, It's not really popular here, because it kind of goes against everything that we're taught to do in life. We have a really difficult time with silence, That was 15 seconds. (laughs) And you're already like squirming. I can't handle it. Oh, it's too awkward. It was awkward for me and I knew it was happening. (laughs) We have such a hard time with silence. We get so caught up in our busyness and what we're doing and what we need to, to accomplish. And our culture does not lend itself to solitude and having a rhythm of Sabbath built into our lives. It's all about what you're doing, what you're producing, what you're accomplishing. And I think that even spills into our relationship with God and affects that. It reminds me of Luke chapter 10, when Jesus comes to the house of two sisters. There's Martha and Mary. And now how many, I'll make a pass for Mary. How many of you guys, how many, if you knew Jesus was coming over to your house, you would have like your house clean, you'd get new furniture, you would paint, you'd have some awesome food. You'd be like, hey Jesus, have you tried Chick-fil-A sauce, right? You'd, you'd be like, you know, here's some Korean wings from Buffalo's. Let me give you, you know. And that's understandable. That's a cool thing that you would want to like make your house look great and welcome Jesus and be hospitable to that. So I'll give Martha a break on that. But she's working tirelessly to make things look good and to cater to this group that's at her house, thinking that she's gonna be noticed by Jesus. But instead what Jesus noticed is Mary, the other sister, who's not doing anything. And Martha, being the great older sibling that she is, the older sister that she is, throws her younger sister under the bus directly to Jesus. Like, hey Jesus, uh, I'm doing all this stuff. Can you get Mary to come help me? Because she's not doing anything, right? Classic older sibling move. And what does Jesus do? What does he say? He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Actually, only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus essentially says that, hey, all that you're doing, all the work you're doing, all the stuff that's taking up your time, it's not important. And what is important is sitting at my feet. And that's what contemplatives are all about, of sitting at the feet of Jesus. Like I said, we have a really hard time with silence, with rest, with focusing, with solitude. There was a study done in 2015 that was published by Time Magazine about attention spans. And maybe some of you have seen this. Uh, They did a study and the average American has an attention span of eight seconds. Eight seconds. They did in the same study, they tested a goldfish, nine seconds. We have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. Oh my gosh, some of you know this. If you have teenagers, you're like a middle schooler, you know. It's like two seconds in that period. Um, It's crazy though. We get so wrapped up in what we need to do and what's happening and what's stimulating and what's gonna make us happy now in the short term that that we rarely find time to sit at the feet of Jesus and just be in his presence. Exodus three, one through four, 
Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that, the bush, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. We talk about this miracle a lot. It's probably taught in children's church and we are very familiar with it. Do you ever think about how long Moses must have been staring at this bush to notice that it wasn't burning up? It takes a while, right? It takes a while for a fire to start burning out and to notice that. So he had been standing there for what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, just staring like, oh, a bush is on fire. And is it going out? I don't know. Uh, it looks, no, I don't know. It would have taken a long time. It's not this quick, immediate thing, right? And for a God that parts seas and creates worlds and raises people from the dead and sends plagues and does all these miracles, lighting a bush on fire seems pretty small scale, seems pretty, you know, pretty easy. Doesn't seem like a huge deal. But maybe the miracle about the bush is less about the bush and more about getting Moses' attention. What if the miracle was that God was able to get Moses' attention long enough for Moses to hear him speak? What if we're surrounded by burning bushes every day and we're too busy, too distracted, too focused on other things to see them? Because I believe that God speaks to us every day in multiple different ways. And it's not a matter of God speaking, it's a matter of am I listening and am I looking for these moments? Or am I paying attention to what's going on outside my world? The enthusiast and contemplative know that there's a mystery surrounding God and that there's something going, else, going on beneath the surface here in this world. So spending time alone with God, it opens us up and it makes us familiar with the sound of God's voice. It realigns our focus and reminds us that we are not defined by our work that all the busyness and activities and accomplishments and trophies that we win and the things we fill our schedules with, all those things ultimately are not what defines us and do not matter to God and that the better thing we can choose is to sit at the feet of Jesus and be in God's presence. And it doesn't have to be anything crazy. I'm not telling you to go disappear in the woods for a week and leave your kids wondering like, where did mom go? She's gone, I don't know what happened. And I'm, I'm not telling you to go get one of those goofy haircuts and become a monk although that would be funny. You can do that if you want. You can get the haircut, it's up to you. Um, solitude could be turning your phone off for an hour a day. It could be taking a walk by yourself or having a devotional place that you like to go to to be alone with God. It could be participating in something like Lent where you intentionally give up something that's been taking your focus away from God and what he's trying to say to you. It could be turning off your radio where you're in the car and using that time to listen and to pray and be alone with God. It could be going through the stations of the cross. We don't always like it, but there is this rhythm of work and rest and Sabbath that God has baked into the fabric of our world. And it's this beautiful expression of worship that we can use more of all the time. So the contemplatives out there, you are not crazy, you're not lazy, you're focused on the right things, you're pursuing what's better and we could all learn from you and your perspective. So thank you for being here and being a part of our community. In both these groups, the enthusiasts and the contemplatives, they both live with a mindset of expectancy. 
They both are open and aware that God is moving and they know that God is going to do big things and so they expect that. Even if they don't have all the right answers, they know that God is going to show up and is going to speak in their lives. Like there are many things that I know but don't necessarily believe and I've let past experiences and hurts make me cynical and make me doubt things that God could do. Like I, be- I know God is good but a lot of times if I'm honest, My cynicism tells me otherwise and tells me to trust my own logic and my own planning instead of God. The other voices say that God probably isn't gonna answer the prayers that I'm praying. It's probably not gonna work out, but I'll do it anyway, just to, you know, in case something happens. We know that God is ever present and everywhere, but we don't really believe and expect him to speak much. And we get surprised when he does speak or we say things like, God just doesn't really talk like he did in the Old Testament. God doesn't really speak to people nowadays. We know God is powerful and all powerful, but we don't expect him to actually heal our addictions and our sicknesses. We know the kingdom of God is here and that God's making all things new, but we don't expect that the people and issues in our city and in our country can actually change and get better. Both the enthusiast and the contemplative live with a mindset that God is going to show up and that God is going to speak and act. And they believe that God is abundant and that God is everywhere. And so the question isn't whether or not God is moving or acting or healing or speaking. The question is, are we looking for it? Are we open to it? Are we expectant to hearing God's voice? So as we end, we're gonna go into a time of reflection. And so you might not be an enthusiast, you might not be one of these temperaments here, but I bet that there are areas in your life and in my life that you need to trust God. Are you allowing room for God to move or have you compartmentalized your life where the only time God can move is in this room on a Sunday morning or the five minutes you pray before you go to bed? Do you expect God to show up in your family and in your work and your finances and your relationships? Or do you keep such a tight grip on things that God has no room to work? Is there a situation in your life that you're so focused on that's causing you to miss out on all the ways God is getting your attention? Are there burning bushes all around us that we're missing just because we aren't expecting them and we aren't looking for them because we don't think they're out there? So maybe this is you, you're an enthusiast, you're a contemplative, and that's great. That's awesome, be encouraged. Like I said, you aren't crazy, you aren't weird. You are experiencing God in a unique way that none of us are and you can share that for us. But for those who aren't, maybe some of us need to shift our focus. We've been focused on wrong things. We've been staring at the very real problems in our life, problems in our marriage or in our life. We've been looking at our failures or the things happening in our future, and we've lost focus. And we need to take time each week just to stop and step back and look around at what God is saying. We need to have the mentality of asking ourselves, what is God saying to me and what am I gonna do about this? Maybe some of you need to surrender. You've been stuck in this Western lie that things are black and white and that things fit really neatly into boxes and that faith is about having all the answers. And maybe that faith for you feels like an anxious battle to have all the right beliefs ironed out and fitting them into your box. And maybe you even put God in a box and you won't let him leave. You're limiting what God can do because you're keeping God in this safe little box and won't consider anything outside. You only allow God these small windows throughout your week to do anything. And maybe you need to surrender that and surrender your assumptions and surrender the times that you've boxed God out of your life and surrender the battles for all the right answers and just live in the mystery and just take a breath and swim in it for a second. And celebrate that God is in the mystery. 
That saying I don't know is fine, it's okay, and that doubt is the vehicle to having a deeper faith. And celebrate that God is all around us and speaking in and through every experience. So pray that God would open your eyes and write that on your mirror at home, write it on your dashboard of your car on a sticky note and put it on there. Whatever you need to remember that God is in the mystery. And all of us, we all need to be still. There's so much noise in our lives. We're so distracted, we need to be still and just sit in the presence of God and let him tell us who we are. We need to let God remind us that our work and our accomplishments and our busyness isn't the point. It's not what defines us and it's not what ultimately matters to God. And trust that God is abundant because he is. Trust that the kingdom is abundant. That God takes care of his children and with God there is always plenty so we can be still and rest in that. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.